visiting with us. We're in a series called The Days of Noah. It is the first time in 30 plus years pastoring I've ever taught a series on it. So I'm very excited about it. I'm learning with you as I go. If you're visiting with us, I, uh, it may sound like I'm preaching to the choir, but I'm not. I usually just try to give to you what I've been walking out myself. So I don't attempt to preach or teach something that I hadn't tried to work through myself and to give it to you. So what I want to present to you in this is 30 years of pastoring and questions that come to me about is Jesus coming? Will he come when he does? When? What will it look like? And I thought a couple of weeks ago, I think I'm going to tackle this subject. So I jumped in to tackle it. I hope you enjoy it. I pray you share it. If you like it, share it with people. We can touch a lot of people around the world just by sharing the gospel of Jesus. Let's jump into it. This is our scripture. Matthew 24, 37, and let me just, I'm going to do about a five-minute recap of last week, and it's on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. You can catch it there and watch the whole thing. In this text, it's verse 37, the top of the chapter lends itself that Jesus, a Jewish carpenter supposedly, is coming out of a religious temple. He's walking out of a temple, and when he comes out of that temple, his disciples ask him uh, about the end of the world. And Jesus, the, the best picture I have in my head, is standing on the front porch of this temple, the religious edifice of his day. And he's a Jew, so it's a very highly religious culture. The Jew of the day felt like they were head and shoulders above everybody else. Romans 2 says they felt that way because they were the chosen people of God. Like, in other words, you believe in one God, but you believe the one God you believe in picked you above all other humans. So there's a little bit of privilege and pride in the atmosphere of the town about being a Jew. And Jesus is walking out. He's standing, I'm assuming, kind of on the front porch of that temple, looking around. And they say, hey, when will the end of the world come? What is it going to look like? And Jesus starts telling these stories. We pick up in verse 37. He says, when the Son of Man returns, that's him, it will be like it was in the days of Noah. And the interesting thing about that that I'd like to challenge you with is most of the times when we think about the days of Noah, we don't think about the Son of God. Jesus wants us, and this is where I'm trying to come at it. I'm, I'm not trying to come at the days of Noah by defining Noah's day. I'm trying to come at it by defining the righteousness of Jesus Christ, looking at it in a total different way. So Jesus asks that question, when I come, it's going to look like as it did in Noah's day. And this asked my question last week, why would Jesus appeal to the days of Noah? He could have picked Samson and Delilah. He could have picked Daniel. He could have picked King David, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. I mean, there's a lot of stories that Jesus could have said, when I return, it'll be like this and picked a nice, cool story. But he picks the days of Noah. And he says, there's something about this, which is strange, something about this days of Noah that is going to pretty much let you in on when I'm about to return. You don't have to be caught unaware. That's the thinking. You don't have to go, oh, I didn't know it was coming. Like he alludes that it's possible to know if, if we can dig it out that his return could be close. So here's the typical, what we said. Most or I'll say most, many Christians, 
when they think days of Noah, they think this. They think aliens are coming to chat with us and abducting us for a while to see how we make Chick-fil-A sandwiches and then all kind of disasters and then sexual revolution of LGBTQ and all the pronouns and all of that that's happening and then drag queen story time at the library, which is pretty cool. That's pretty evil. And then blood moons because some of us are religious and we love blood moons because we can buy new books and post on Instagram that it's another blood moon. He's got to come. And so we look at this and we try to intimate, well, is Jesus coming because it seems more wicked now than it's ever been. So he must be coming. And my thinking is that's where we've got to change because I think when we're looking to try to define evil to determine his coming versus trying to define righteousness to determine his coming, we get the story backwards. But when he talks about the days of Noah, this is my thinking and this is where I'll land the plane from last week. The Bible says in Genesis 9:29, Noah lived to be 950 years old. That's a pretty long dude. Adam was born in, we would assume zero, and in 1,056 years from Adam, a guy named Noah's born, and then 600 years from his birth in 1656, the flood happens. And that period of time, what we said last week, is the days of Noah. So what I, what I would like to attempt to do is when you think days of Noah, don't think boat only. The boat lasted about a year and it took him maybe a hundred years to build it. But, it, but you got to kind of think like days of Noah, birth to death, a 950 year box of time. If we took 950 years from now, we would be back at the Byzantine Empire, taken over by the Ottoman Empire, the British Empire, the American Revolution, and here we sit in 2023, World War One, World War Two, Vietnam. And then I would say to you, okay, you got to pick something out of from the Byzantine Empire to present day war. Pick something that will define the return of Jesus. It would be nearly impossible. What would we choose? Well, I'll pick World War I. Okay, well, I don't. I'm going to pick the American Revolution. And so when you try to define the days of Noah from evil, it's almost an impossible thing. 950 years worth of evil. What do we pick? And then the thinking that it's, it's going to get more evil. Like, like the longer we're alive, it gets more evil. And that's a fallacy. It doesn't get more evil. I'll teach you that today. Here's the timeline that we talked about last week. Adam, then it picks up his son Seth, and his son Seth runs to Noah, and then that's the bloodline of Jesus. So from Adam and Seth, the bloodline runs to Jesus. So when Jesus says days of Noah, what if he's not talking about evil, but he's talking about what's happening in the bloodline of righteous people? So, you're welcome. I'm glad I'm here. <laughs> like I'm talking to myself. That's incredible. Like think that through for a minute. What if when Jesus says days of Noah, it's not the evil per se, but it's what happened to the righteous bloodline that caused evil to escalate? So here's what we said last week, and now we jump in and have fun to study this week. Last week, we said righteous men became indifferent men. 
You can be a godly man, but be indifferent. Jesus will say this concerning John. He played the flute, you wouldn't dance. He played the dirge, you wouldn't cry. Jesus understood what it was like to be frustrated with people of indifference. He even says, I'd rather you be hot or cold, this whole in-between indifferent kind of thing. I don't do well with that. So we, we left off last week that perhaps the days of Noah is to just ask the one question, are men indifferent today when it comes to righteousness? Now we get to have fun and dig the hole a little deeper. Matthew 24, verse 37 again, and then we're going to continue reading. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in the days of Noah. In those days before the flood. Now here's where it gets interesting. Jesus has narrowed the window. So we got to go from birth to 600 years. He's narrowed the window. He's, he's not going to let us talk about the other 350 years Noah lives after the flood. He's going to crunch it down the days before the flood. He said the people, and here's what's weird. Jesus doesn't even intimate it's evil. He says they're enjoying banquets. That's pretty cool. They're going to Golden Corral. Number two, they're having parties and they're having weddings. It kind of sounds like a frat thing, like, like I'm off at college. I go hang out together, banquets, prom, we're having fun. I go to parties. I mean, they're kind of wild sometimes, kind of free, but we're having fun. And then we just go to weddings. Like no, nobody's divorcing. Just everybody's getting married. We're celebrating. We're having fun. The bar, man, the reception at the end is going to be kicker. You guys got to come. And when you're living 950 years and can marry multiple women, that's a lot of weddings. Like you, they, they wouldn't marry multiple women. So it's like you're having a wedding every other week, like another wedding. Let's go. So Jesus lends when he talks about it. He doesn't say, oh, there's a lot of sexual perversion going on. There's those alphabet people. Oh, you got to watch out. Everybody's smoking weed, doing meth. Like he doesn't, he doesn't even say there's aliens. He doesn't even intimate blood moons. Well, when I come, you'll see a blood moon. No. When I come Noah and oh, I'm going to define Noah's day. They're kicking it. They're having a blast. They're loving life. Everything's working for them. My belly's full. I'm hanging with my friends. Sometimes I get a little buzz going on. Sometimes my wife has to tuck me in because I got a little too tight. And then we go celebrate life happening. We go out and we eat cake. That's, why, that's the only reason we go. Cake. I mean, you might be there because you kind of like them, but you all know it's cake. So, so they're thinking they're going to have a great time. It's going to be a great weekend, honeymoons. And here's where it gets sorely interesting. It goes on, verse 39, we tighten the noose. Jesus says people did not realize what was going to happen until the flood came and took them away. That, now he tightens the noose more. That is the way it will be when I come. He leaves us no room to speculate. He doesn't say aliens and blood moons and sexual perversion. He says, you want me to tell you the way it's going to be? When I come, it's going to be a generation that doesn't realize the inevitable is brewing. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. 
That's the way it's going to be. It will be a generation that doesn't understand that there is this God out there that is brewing a plan. Everything will be lived for the moment. There will be no thought of a universal God. We may get rid of him. We may push him out. We may not want to think about him. We may deconstruct because we don't understand him. But what Jesus will tell us very clearly, if you want to know what it's like, stop thinking about evil and start watching what's going on in the mind of people. Quit looking at blood moons. Look at what we're thinking today. It says they won't even realize it's about to happen. In other words, there's an ignorance to it. They're living life, but they're ignorant. They're living life, but they don't see. They're having fun, but they, but they don't realize something is happening. And that thing that's happening is going to be, watch this, an instantaneous shift. Not, not a slow ebb. It is going to be snap of the finger, take them away. So what Jesus begins to allude to is that the mind of people will live in such a way that they won't understand there is this looming thing that is going to happen instantly to take them by surprise. And that is not going from cash to fed now digital. That's not going to Mars It's an instantaneous thing outside of the earthly realm in the spirit realm because the spirit realm is brewing and the spirit realm without your opinion or without asking you is just going to show up and go, and you're going to go, it's too late. That's what's going on. The minds of the people have to be blinded. So when Jesus says, I'm coming, he's talking about look into the soul of a human's thinking and watch what's being binded. So this is my thought for the day. I'll shovel it a little deeper and we'll try to figure it out. Perhaps the days of Noah aren't about the amount of evil going on, but the amount of ignorance going on. Anybody in the, this may be me, I don't want to come across crass, but sometimes I is. If you ever looked at our generation and thought, God, we're dumb. (laughs) Clear Jesus. We're turning the planet over to these people. Like if you ever looked at younger people and just wondered, what's happened to them? Like we have Google. would have a school if I could Google. I couldn't Google. I had to go and pull out drawers and go through card files called the Dewey Decibel System. And that's terrible if you're dyslexic because you screw up the one and the eight and you're at eight one, you got the wrong book, you flunk the whole thing. Can you imagine a generation where you can just type something? You you have AI at your fingertips. You can just say, write me an essay. And AI writes a better essay than anybody. And then you watch what's happening. You go, God, we're dumb. We're just some of the dumbest humans ever. I I follow people that go around the world and interview people on the street. It's kind of on the street interviews. I'm shocked. Who was the first president of the United States? No clue. How many stars are on the American flag? No clue. How many months of the year are there? No clue. I'm like, my God, either their mother and father was really dumb or we just have a weird generation. 
and walking around vaping because that's better than smoking. And I'm like, I don't think so, but it sure does feel good. I will say this. I'm going to, here's one for the vapors. Y'all do smell better. (laughs) So I'll give you that. I don't care what you do. You want to smoke or vape. I'll just say the vapors do smell good. You smell better than everybody else. You blueberry especially. It's like, man, I got to go get a donut. (laughs) Hang out with a vapor. I'm gaining weight. It's like, dear God. So now when I say ignorance, I don't want you to take it as I'm saying we're a dumb society. I say ignorant as in we don't live knowing something is brewing. Something is brewing. Here's my opinion that most people don't want to talk about. That's my thinking. Ignorance is something out there is brewing that most righteous people don't want to talk about. I want to talk about it. To do so, to figure out what is the ignorance in the mind of people, I want to go backward a chapter and a half to Genesis 4. Now that chapter and a half is probably about 800 years of time. So I know in the Bible it reads in about 15 minutes, but time-wise it's about an 800 year maybe so, somewhere like that. We pick up the story of God talking to Adam's first kid. Remember Adam? Adam had Cain, then had Abel. Cain gets ticked, takes his brother out, kills him, and, and now God shows up. So here's God, verse 13. Uh, oh, I'll come back to Cain in a minute. Let me, I'm just looking at the wrong scripture. So let me wind that down. Don't vape. It does smell good. All right, we're back. I'm back to this. My mind was so far out there. Just read your notes, preacher. Genesis 6. We picked up Jesus, what Jesus thinks. Now we're going to pick up Daddy God and what he thinks, but in the story. So now we're in the story, Genesis 6. God said to Noah, I've decided to destroy all living creatures. And the koala's probably thinking, what did I do? I don't deserve this. For they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I'm going to wipe them all out along with the whole earth. So God shows up to Noah's generation and he has an opinion. I'm not really happy I made you. It repents me that I didn't make you. So I'm just going to kill you. And then it goes on in Genesis 6. It says, now God saw that the earth had become corrupt. Come on, do you see? See what we're, we're getting here is that there is, there is a view from the creator's standpoint. I'm looking at Noah's day from an earthly standpoint. Oh, evil. And what Jesus wants me to see is that God himself was viewing what was going on. God saw what was happening, but yet what? They're clueless. Remember what Jesus said? They did not recognize. What don't they recognize? That God is watching all of us. God sees everything we do. I don't care erasure you are, L. Get rid of your history. Hide out in the closet. Act like mama doesn't know. Keep it from daddy. Snap and delete the picture. It does not matter. What we learn from this is no matter what we humans perceive in our rationale, God the creator is watching everything. And he's not just watching it so he can take notes. He gets emotional about it. 
He's involved with us. So God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled. And then verse 12, and God observed. He's watching. He's, he wants to not, here's what we have to think about God. He, he's not up there just to kill us. He wants to abide with us. He wants to commune with us. And, but our thinking is, it doesn't matter. He doesn't care. And so God shows up and says, well, I do. So what I'm going to do is it's so corrupt I, I just let you know that I'm just lumping everybody in. It's so corrupt. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take all you humans. And by the time we get to the days of Noah, I don't know. I tried to do the math on it, but it just was too deep over my head of how many billions of people could have lived from Adam to Noah when there's no death. And everybody's multiple marriages and babies and how many this could be. I don't know. But... They did have glasses back then, and that's cool. So, right? God can do anything. He can make a pair of glasses. So, so what I want you to know is that there's this righteous line of people producing other people. And by the time we get to what Jesus refers, the days of Noah, where we will be able to determine if he's about to come, we start seeing how do these people relate to the righteous seed of God. And God just says, I'm just going to kill them all. Now that as a student of the Bible challenges me because I'm like, well, what about grace? What about the God that just loves everybody? What about the God that loves you no matter what? What about the God that says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Like, I like that God. I don't like the God that just goes, I'm just starting over. Now, the, the interesting thing about it, I'll, I'll hold that thought because I'll, I'll try to pick it up later. Here's my quest for this week as I was thinking through it. From Adam at zero to the flood at 1656, what happened? Like, why did God just suddenly get this ticked off? Like, why did right now did he just go, all right, I've had enough. Any, anybody ever raise kids? I've had enough. <laughs> like, it's kind of how I look. Like, God's like, okay, pick your stuff up. Get your shoes. If you don't, this is our text thread. If y'all don't get your clothes off the kitchen table, they'll be gone tomorrow. Everybody knows she's lying. Like, she ain't throwing them. She hadn't thrown away our clothes yet. And Robin would be like, y'all better pick your stuff off the kitchen counter because if you don't get it by tomorrow, it'll be gone. And we're all like secretly texting each other going, she ain't going to do it. <laughs> ain't no way. She wears the clothes herself. <laughs> and I don't have to worry because it's all girl clothes. Yeah. <laughs> but what would happen in this amount of time that would cause God to do this? Because it gets interesting. As I said last week, I want to talk a little more. If we go back to zero time, we pick up this piece of fruit. And this piece of fruit intrigues me because God had one rule and one rule only. Don't eat the fruit. 
Can't be more clear. That's how you know God's working with a man. It was simple. It was clear. It was one thing. Proving this about men, ladies, we can't even do one thing. God said this, don't eat the fruit. Now this is what I mean when I tell you, stop thinking about how evil this is. The greatest evil we ever did as humans was eating the fruit. There's no greater evil than... Mm. Mm. That's, a, that's pretty tasty. That is more evil than child sex trafficking, molestation, perversion, murder, adultery, cheating, meth heads, addicts, porn addicts. That is the most evil thing that has ever happened on planet Earth. Y'all got mighty quiet. Every bit of evil you see today was birthed from here. The perversion here was birthed from... The, the sound of freedom, child sex trafficking is not because, ooh, 2023 is so evil. The most evil thing you could do was give God the middle finger and go, I will eat the fruit when I want to. And what we see is a result of this. So let us please stop trying to go, well, 2023 is so evil. Jesus is to return. And I'm like, are we that naive that we think 2023 is more evil than this? This brought down the whole humanity. But it sure does feel good to think our generation is the most evil and I bet he's coming now. I can feel it. I saw that drag queen story time in the library. He's coming. Critical race theory, he's coming. I know he's coming. Oh my God, 69 genders, he's coming. I know he's coming. 69 genders and two blood moons in three years, he's coming for sure. Oh God, they just signed a peace deal with Israel. He's coming. He's coming. I know he's coming. S something went wrong. There you go. My, my, my little series talking to me. Thank you. Days of Noah. Here's the problem with this though. God put an angel there so nobody else could eat it. So I can't really say, well, everybody here took a bite of that tree, so God should nuke them. God, once Adam did the worst evil, he put an angel up, and when he put the angel up, he's like, uh, yeah, nobody can eat the fruit now. So although my belief is they could see the tree, the Garden of Eden was still there, they could be standing out in the field going, there's where mom and dad used to live. Got booted out. But they couldn't get back in to eat it. Now, that says something to me. If, if they didn't eat the fruit, then what are you judging them for? And here's where it gets even more intriguing. There was no Ten Commandments. And if there's no Ten Commandments, how can you say I'm guilty if there's no rules? Because I challenge you from Genesis 2 all the way to Exodus 19, there are no rules. Yeah. 
There's don't eat the fruit. You did. Eh, no more rules. Have at it. There, there is this. No, the Ten Commandments did not come to nearly 800 years later after the flood. So when God shows up, what am I guilty for? You didn't tell me thou shalt not murder. Even Cain, there was no thou shalt not murder. And Cain's like, I'm going to murder anyway. There's none of that. Cain murdered with no law, thou shalt not murder. So if there's no Ten Commandments to be held guilty for, like, if, think about this. This is one of the first times in the history of humans that there was never any godly law or godly rules or godly religion governing anything. And God steps into it. And God says, yeah, well, and that to me makes it feel like God sure is unjust here. How can you condemn me for something I was never told it's wrong? You never told me don't commit adultery. You never said I couldn't covet my neighbor's wife. You never said I couldn't lie. I couldn't steal. You never told me those things and you still hold me guilty. I never ate the fruit like my great, 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 great. And you still hold me guilty. So let's ask why Jesus picked up this generation, because here's where it gets interesting. Now we go to Cain. We back up two chapters. We pick up Adam's kid. This is where I think I want to land the plane today for the thought. Cain, Adam's first boy, killed his brother and there was no law that says you cannot do that. He got ticked. He took his bro out in the field. He hacked him with a knife. God shows up in verse 13 of Genesis 4. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Now in this next verse, there's, here's what I want to get you to go with me. In this next verse, there is coming a shift in the relationship between the way humans think about God. And it's going to shift everything. And this one shift is going to tell us what's going on in the mind of a human that could cause Jesus to intimate that time of what they don't recognize. And it's tacked in this verse. Verse 14. Cain said to the Lord, today you're driving me from the land and I'm going to be hidden from your presence and I'll just be a restless wanderer on the earth. And then right here, here's where it gets really good. Whoever finds me will kill me. So he had something. I had just killed him. But if they find me and know I killed my brother, they're going to kill me. God, God says something interesting. Verse 15, the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. You ready? And then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. And then Cain goes out from the Lord's presence and just lives life. East of Eden, of course, close enough to see the old hood, but I can't get in. But I'm living life. If you study the history of Cain, he built cities and he had children and had wives and great grand. Like he just went on with life. And in this moment, something shifts in the mind of a human because watch, there is no law that I can't kill. There's no law that I can't murder. Come here, brother. Hack, hack my brother up. God comes. What did you do? Oh, no. I mean, 
he just got mad at him and they just, oops, his knife slipped. There went his head. And, here, and, and God said, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm banishing you. You're going to wander. And, and, and he says, I'm, I'm, that, my punishment, I can't do it. I can't do the punishment. Somebody's going to kill me. Here it comes. And God said, no, I'm going to put a mark on you and I will, I will avenge you so that nobody can kill you. And that seed was planted in his mind of a shift of, God, I could get away with this and God has my back. Like God didn't kill me. Like God is for me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? Like he put a mark on my head. Like, like, wow, like God, God's protecting me. God even said right here that he would avenge like God has my back. This is amazing. And in that moment, here's what happened. A shift because with Adam, God was out front going, obey me or else. And by the time we get to Cain, the or else is Cain going, thanks God. I'm going to go live my life and I'm not worried about a thing. I'm not worried. I mean, nothing really happened. I just got booted out. I got to keep living but hey, don't touch me because don't you touch me because God will avenge me. And what happened is God went from the front of the thinking to no matter how I live, God has my back. That's the thought that starts permeating humans. No matter how I live, God has my back. It's so powerful that about five generations later, and it's a few verses, but it's five generations in the Bible, the great, 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 great grandson of Cain shows up. His name is Lamech. Lamech said to his wives, what, wives? Wives? Yeah, there's no law that says you can only marry one. Although Jesus does say from the beginning of time, God only knew it should be one man and a woman, but we, we don't even get, get to the law yet, and they're already marrying multiple women. They're already having sex with anybody they want to have sex with. And he says to his wife, he says, Ada and Zilla, hear my voice. Gotta love that, man. The wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. He'd be so good at a marriage conference. He says, for I killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. Here's, here's interesting thought here. He says, if Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech's going to get 77-fold. 490 times God will avenge me. So what we see is every generation can get away with more because they believe God is for them even though they're getting away with more evil. So the further I get away from the worst sin ever, people start living like, God, I can get away with anything, man. There's no punishment. As a matter of fact, not only would God not punish me, God loves me. It doesn't matter what I do, man. And so what Jesus begins to intimate to us is that there's going to be a generation. This is my thinking. There's going to be a generation here that lives as there are no rules. There's no laws and there's no punishment looming. How dare you, Gary, judge me? I love Jesus. 
And what will happen is the church will begin to propagate that thought because rather than letting people know there's a punishment looming, we start teaching the theology. It doesn't matter how you live. Jesus loves you. Don't worry about a thing. You can live like a hellion. Keep God in your back pocket. Live like a hellion. As long as God is behind you and has your back, you can live terrible. You can live like a drunk, a pervert, a porn addict, a meth head. You can, you can cheat on your wife. You can talk filth. You can live any way you want because, hey, I'm not worried about it because I know God loves me. And if God be for me, who can be against me? Because I just want, I just want you to know I love Jesus and Jesus. Jesus loves me. Well, it wasn't a generation that didn't know love. They hadn't been punished in over a thousand years. They're, they're having sex with anybody they want. They're eating. They're drinking. They're, they're, they're just having a heyday. How could they have a heyday? Because there's no punishment. And if there's no punishment, everything goes. So what Jesus is intimating before I come back will be a generation of righteous people who claim to be righteous, who will live like anything goes because I will stave off any kind of punishment on them. If they want to sleep with their girlfriend, they'll sleep with their girlfriend because as long as they know I love them, anything goes. They'll, they'll, they'll live any way they want. They'll watch whatever they want to watch, talk however they want to talk, act however they want to tag. They'll tag me in their back pocket. They'll put me behind them and go, God has my back. And I just live my life with check marking every green thing saying, well, he loves me and you need to love me too. And just be patient with me because what's happening is a generation was raised that forgot about punishment. Something between zero and 1656, they just forgot about punishment. It's just all about blessings and prosperity and happiness and goodness and YOLO and God wants you happy and God wants to give you a house and a car and land and cars for everybody. I'm not opposed to that. I'm not opposed to God blessing us. He's the blessing of the Lord. He is a good, good father. But know this about a good, good father. They still punish kids. Don't ever forget you're, you're, you're a looming. Your punishment is looming. Yes, I know it's been thousands of years and we're in a generation now that check marks everything green. Nobody puts an X over this culture. Everything is fine except being a Christian. Everything else is fine. Everything else. You can have 92 gods and be a woman that's a man, that's a man that turned back into a woman that can put a uterus in him and, and birth a baby because I got a fake uterus. And we're all like, yeah, yes, cheer you on. And then I can be online. I, I'm a Christian, of course, because my bio says Jesus lover. And I can F this, F that. I hate them. Oh, my God. Let me tell you. And then 900 Christians on him. I got you, girl. I got your back. And I'm like, what are you like? You, you literally just talk that way. Well, of course, because there's no punishment looming. I can be a jerk. God loves me because we've lived so long. With no, with, I'm not talking about law punishment like I'm going to the county jail. It's been 2,000 years since he punished his son and we suddenly forget sin deserves punishment. Amen. It's been 2,000 years since he punished Adam. We forgot. 
It's been 2,000 years since they killed the last Adam. And here we are 2,000 years later, we forgot. Does it not strike you as odd that 1,656 years from the first Adam, they forgot about punishment? And here we are 2,000 and about 16 years from the second at last Adam, and we're in a culture that fears no punishment of God at all. We forgot about the punishment of the first Adam and we thought we could get away with it and we forgot about the punishment of the second Adam. The first Adam, just get married, just have fun, just live. But when Jesus, the last Adam came, church people, religious people just sit around. We're drunk. We're, 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 we live loose lives. We, we, we have no godly holiness at all. And if you even say the word holy, who are you to judge me anyway? Look at your garbage. You have no right to go look in the mirror yourself. And then I even quote the Bible. Get the beam out of your own eye before you pull this back out of mine. Because I don't like punishment. So I live in a generation where I don't want to be punished. I don't want anybody. I don't want to be submitted to anybody. I don't want anybody over my life. I want to live me. If I don't like this church, I'll go to that church. If I hate that pastor, I'll pick another pastor. Because I just want to green check mark my life by, by claiming Jesus loves me while I green check mark myself. So I think the generation is a zero anxiety of punishment because I only answer to myself. Like right now, who is it? Let me, let me back that question up. Do you ever sit around and think that he's coming to punish the world? Ever. Do you ever sit around and think that the God of the universe will come back and he will punish sin once and for all? And by that, I mean... Everybody who rejected him will pay a high price. Because the Christian faith is the high price is eternal damnation. I know that sounds kind of, eh, that's weirdly out there. Don't go there. But do you believe that? Or are you part of a generation that just wants love? I don't even want to talk about punishment. I don't want to talk about there's a looming universe out there of a spirit world where there's the creator that's standing up on the throne and he looks over at his son and he's about to say, hey, I need you to go down there because the time of wrath and judgment has come. While we sit down here having parties and going to church and giving a few bucks to Jesus to make him feel better about us, all in this generation of I'm not worried about punishment. And God's like, eh. Like if he showed up right now to anybody, including me in the room, are you good? Are you going to pass? Well, I got Jesus. I know, but even in that, you'll stand before him and have to give an account of everything you've ever said. Like I, like I know Jesus, like you get life, but even though you get life, you still get judged. Like he's like, everybody that believes in me, going to get judged. Come on in, we're going to have a chat. Everybody that doesn't believe in me, you're going to get judged. Let's go have a chat. Like we all get judged. I either get judged believing in him by him or not believing in him by him. Either way, we all have this looming punishment waiting. When I stand before God one day and he says guilty and I go, yeah, I am. However, I would like to claim that I have put my faith in the Jesus Christ. And I would like to say that my looming punishment was placed upon him and I have believed that my whole life. And then they say, oh, you believe that your looming punishment was placed on him? Yes, I do. Good. Come on in. Yeah. 
But the sad part is when nobody that believes that they get eternal life has any guts to go tell other people they may not have eternal life. What happened to us? Listen to Peter, 2 Peter 2. And God, Peter picks up the same thing. It must be a powerful story among the boys. And God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and his seven others. We'll talk about them later. Noah warned the world, watch, of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the rest of the world. Do you understand when Jesus picks this, he's not picking the story of Noah because evil is so bad. He picks the story of Noah because there will be so few people who will be a voice for righteous judgment. There's billions of people on planet earth and God could only find one man that was going, hey, hey, something's looming. Y'all need to be, hey, you, hey, listen, listen, hey, I, I just talked to God. No, the God. No, no, I did, man. I talked to him. He came, no, he came down and said, a, a flood's come. Never mind. Hey, hey. Hey, it's me. It's Noah. Dude, it's a boat. I'm building a boat. Don't worry about the boat. There's this, there's a looming punishment coming. You're going to drown in a rain. I don't know what rain is. It's going to rain. It's never rained before, but I'm building a boat. You can save yourself if you'll get on my boat. Hello? Hey. Hey, you. Hey. Hey, the way you're living is wrong. Hey, you, you need to come over here. You need to get on this thing because there's, there's a flood. Everybody, like, dude, everybody's going to die. Like, I talked to him. Everybody's dying. Your llama's going to die. Your turtle's dying. Everything. Hello? Like, when you think about this, maybe Jesus was not talking about the amount of evil but how few righteous people will be bold enough to tell other people punishment is waiting. And Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everybody. There it is. It's not about laws. You're guilty because of Adam. But Christ's one act of righteousness offers new life for everybody. That is in that one scripture verse, Romans 5.18, it's Christianity. You believe in Jesus because you don't want to be punished, but you're so selfish that you won't tell other people? Like you, you don't tell any, you work with people all day long, but you never tell them, hey, hey, dude, dude, punishment's coming. Yeah, I mean, we can go get a taco later, but right now punishment's coming. So you just live life with God in your back pocket. Okay, Lord. Looming punishment all around you of people that will never make eternal life. They're going to be punished by God. And you're on your little phone Googling how to get a raise. How to get a better deal on insurance. How to live with all women. <laughs> Keeping God in your hip pocket for a rainy day so you can get to work on time if you're hitting all the red lights. So he'll heal your knee when it goes bad. But, but you're not a voice. Righteous, this is my thought for today. Righteous people will become religious people who will play games rather than preach the gospel. My belief is today many Christians are experts at playing the game. We can love Jesus and gossip about you before you can blink an eye. I can love Jesus and get drunk and have a great weekend. 
I can love Jesus and still look at porn. I can love Jesus and still cheat on my wife. I can love Jesus and still talk hate about people. I can love Jesus and spread division. I can love Jesus and live in strife. I can love Jesus and hate people. Because I'm religious, I got God in my hip pocket, he has my back, and as long as he has my back, I can live like a hellion. I'm good, how dare you judge me? That is that generation. Now here's where it's gonna sting. I'm lumping myself in with you. It's so easy to play games. It sounds dirty. You're like, I'm not playing games. I'm serious. Okay, here's the one question. If you're as serious as you say you are about Jesus and what he offers, which is new life rather than condemnation, who was the last person you won to his team? If you have nobody on your roster, you're playing games. If you've worked with somebody 15 years and they don't even know you know Jesus, you're playing games. You're just playing the game and you feel good about it. But if you're not owning your 50 feet, and I'm not talking about you holding a sign on 285, turn and burn, hell's hot. I'm talking about you walking into work going, uh, I just want everybody here to know that I am a Christian and I do believe that you don't have to be punished for our sins and I'd like to tell you my story. You may not even believe it, but I'm obligated to tell you. Say obligated. Yes, this is where the playing games has gotten so powerful because we pay the preacher to do it. We pay the evangelist to come in and do the week-long evangelism crusade where we can boast about how many friends we bought to be baptized that week. But if you go back 2,000 years, Jesus himself said, hey, everybody in the room, go into the world and tell everybody about me. And we're like, yes, sir. Wait a minute. Listen, I'm not real good with people. I'm kind of introverted. I don't like to kind of go for it. I don't, I just, what I'd rather do is be a keyboard warrior where I can just sit on Facebook and tell people about the love of Jesus. Like at my job, I definitely don't want to lose my job. And how dare me walk in and tell somebody that they could go to hell and burn forever in condemnation. Who am I to tell them? Right. You're just playing the game. You're good that you got a raise. You're good you didn't get fired for not getting a vaccine, but you hadn't told a soul about the hope of Jesus in your life. That's the challenge. Oh, by the way, in case you missed it, he showed up after resurrection and went, Hey, you must be baptized with power so that you will go into all the world and witness for me to the uttermost parts of the world. 2,000 years later, here's how we've twisted it. You must be filled with the Spirit so we can have a conference and lay hands on you and you can get your prayer language so you can have a better prayer time and devotion. The whole point of the baptism was to witness with power. And we've turned it around into a religion called Pentecost and now we lay hands on you and want you to speak in tongues and you go away going and you still cheat on your wife you still look at porn and you still are a jerk because the baptism didn't come just so you could speak in tongues and green check mark your life well now I got God in this pocket and I got the Holy Ghost in this and you still live like the devil 
So let's be honest. Again, I'm not preaching to you. I'm, I'm lumping myself with you. If there's nobody on your roster in your 50 feet that knows Jesus, it's your fault. He's going to hold you accountable. He's going to hold me accountable. And he's put you in the middle of them to tell them about Jesus. He doesn't care if you're uncomfortable. He didn't say, hey, go ye into all the world. And oh, Wait a minute. Let me retain that. Listen, if y'all feel like it, if you feel stirred, if the nape of your neck stands up, you'll know that's me. Say it then. But listen, don't stretch yourself. I mean, I know you're busy and I don't want to like get in your way. So what I'm going to do is just stand behind you with all my scars and blood and just go out there and tell them how much I blessed you. No. They died for it, were sawed in two for it, so they could preach the gospel rather than play games. I present to you today, we hired the preacher so we could keep playing games. We hired the evangelist so we could keep playing games. And this is what Jesus alludes to. Here's my final conclusion. I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to get ready for communion. If I could sum up this week, this is what I would say. It's righteous men play games rather than preach the gospel. God gave you the job he gave you so you could be a missionary there and win people for him. God gave you the house he gave you so you could invite people over and share your story. God gave you the car he gave you so you could go where he needed you to go so he could bump you into people who need his hope because they do not have his hope. And yet we're a generation that point fingers and blame everybody and wonder why the world is so terribly dark. Perhaps the reason the world is so terribly dark from a piece of fruit is because God's kids got silent. My thinking is, I've been studying this right regular lately, the trans movement that's upon us is about 0.01% of the population, 0.01%. And yet if you watch TV, it's like, oh my God, everybody's trans. I might be married to one. Oh. It's, it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And yet I'm walking around going, I don't see anybody. Maybe in Midtown, but typical. But the question, why is it so prevalent? Because 0.01% decided to be louder than you. So hush your mouth, whining about why the world's got so dark. Maybe they're just talking louder than us because we're sitting back just going, I just wish another blood moon had come and he'd come get me and get me off of this planet. And we just shy away rather than proclaim it. Would you stand with me if you will? And as you do, look at this one final thought. As you come for communion, you can be part of the many who play the game. Or part of the few who preach the gospel and it's just up to you. My opinion is there is a looming punishment coming where God will split the sky and the wrath of God will be poured out. Those that have believed will be saved and those that don't believe will be condemned. That is the message of Jesus Christ. We are left here to our generation to preach that. I would just highly encourage you just go to your 50 feet and live loud. And by that, I mean just tell your story. They may not believe in the Bible, but they can't negate its truth for your story. Bow your head and let me pray for you today.